Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This is The Ticket. WAXYAM South Miami and WSFSFM HD2 Miramar. The only sports station in Miami with local and live coverage on weekends. Mixed martial arts and boxing fans, it's time for Fighter's Fury inside the heart of a champion. With your hosts, Brendan Tobin, Seema, Tommy Guns. It's time for Fighters Fury on AM790 The Ticket. And good Sunday morning, everybody. Welcome on in. Fighters Fury here on 790 The Ticket. Tobin here with you. Sima's out this week. What a hell of a night it was last night. UFC 241. You know, sometimes they line up those cards and it is it's an absolute monster. Like you're just like on paper, this is gonna be fantastic. But I would say rare are the times where it actually does live up to the hype. And that's what last night was. Last night was absolutely fantastic. Heavyweight championship was unbelievable. The the co-main event with the return of Nate Diaz and the performance that he put forth and just the the the, the never say die by Anthony Pettis, even with a broken ankle, we find out afterwards. And my God, Yoel Romero versus Paulo Costa was just unbelievable as well. It really was just a, a, a great trilogy on the top of that card. Fantastic. And, uh, and really, really delivered. So we'll get into a lot of that today. Got a fun show planned for you guys. Daniel Kay is joining us in studio. He is the president and CEO of XFN, Extreme Fighting Nation. And they are a local promotion. They do a lot of great work down here, uh, putting on mixed martial arts event. And he's kind enough to join us. Daniel, thanks for uh, making time for us today, man. Really appreciate it. Uh, no, man, it's, it's my pleasure. I love listening to your show, love tuning in, so uh, it's exciting to be here. It's it's good to have you, man. So before we get into what you guys got coming up next month, um, it's uh, another fantastic car that you guys put on. Uh, let's talk a little bit of what what, what, uh, what went down last night in, in Anaheim. Uh, first of all, I mean, just, just a, a really, really great card, really, really entertaining. But uh, I'll start off with Yoel Romero versus Paulo Costa. It was, I mean, it was one of the best fights I've seen. Not, I mean, like, I don't want to go and putting it as like one of the best fights of all time, but I really like. I came out of that fight thinking that, man, we've been wanting it for so long. It's been, it's been scheduled and scratched and scheduled and scratched, but it was worth the wait. I mean, those guys just put on such a hell of a performance. Really entertaining. Uh, some crazy strikes from every single angle. I don't know how they had the gas tank to even get through three rounds. It felt like it was gonna, it was gonna wear down at any moment. And just just an unbelievable showing. Yeah, I mean, anytime you've got two big guys like that that can push the pace from bell to bell and, you know, nonstop action, lots of power, of course it was going to be an exciting fight. A lot of people expected there to be a finish early on, but you know what? This was one of those fights where I really didn't mind watching 15 minutes of action. They just kept it coming. It really was, man. It was one of those things where, like, it felt like the ending could have come at a time. It felt like it could have happened quick. Like, you know, Costa dropped Yoel quick. Then Yoel got him tripped up early on. Um, you really never knew when it was going to happen. Like, the fact that they got through 15 minutes is pretty wild in its own self. Um, a lot of people looking at this, uh, there was a lot of booing afterwards with the decision, which I found odd because, not because uh, it's okay to think Yoel won. I thought Yoel edged it out. 
but I thought that it wasn't warranted of anybody getting robbed. It was that close. I did think it was a very close fight. I thought Costa put in an unbelievable performance. And so to see that boot afterwards, um, not that it soured what, what, what was put forth in that cage, but, man, it really was like I, I don't know how as a fan you could feel like there was any robbery afterwards because it was so damn entertaining. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you there, man. Uh, it was a great fight. Everybody should have just been excited, you know, with, with how great the fight was. You get so many fights these days where fighters are trying to protect themselves and, and not really try to win. Both guys were trying to win the entire time. And, and like you said, at one point, Romero got the knockdown. And on the other point, Costa got the knockdown. And it was back and forth the entire 15 minutes. So, um, you know, as a fan, I was I was excited the whole time. I was surprised to hear some boos. Um, it really could have gone either way. It was a close decision. Um, but you know what? I, I really thought that the fans won. The fans won that fight. It was a great fight. Yeah, it was It, it was one of those things where, like, you, you hope sometimes when you put that fight together, everybody gets excited for it, and you're just like, man, what are those guys? Two guys who are absolute finishers. They put forth crazy strikes, crazy pace. What is that going to look like in the cage? And sometimes it comes out, and it's just like they're almost – they're almost too worried about what the other guy can do, and it's it's a lot of sizing each other. That was not the case with this fight. It was bananas. They really, I mean, it, it, the 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 show that they put on was absolutely crazy. Um, I thought this was a big fight for Costa in this regard, man. He's a young he's a young guy, and you really quite you never know. Like he's a guy who's been dusting a lot of guys in one round, and so what's it going to be like when there is that pushback? What is it going to be like when he is pushed in a little bit further into that into that into those deeper waters? And when you see what he was able to do and when he was game, now he definitely did start wearing down as the fight went on. It kind of felt like as round two was 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 uh, was going forth, and then definitely in round three, I thought it was a clear yo all round. You did see him wear down, but he didn't he didn't wither. Like this wasn't a case of a guy who went away. And if he is going to be in title contention, if he is going to take on the winner of uh, Israel Adesanya versus Robert Whitaker. You could see, like, okay, this guy's game for it. There, there is that next level, and there is growth there for somebody who's only 28 years old. Yeah, Romero was definitely his biggest test to date, and uh, it was classic. You know, it's your old-school guy versus your new-school up-and-comer, and it was a real test for him. But, I mean, like you said, he, he proved that he can, you know, withstand the top talent that's out there. He can really push the pace. Like, he did slow down in the third round, but come on, he was fighting Yoel Romero. The yeah. guy is a, the guy's a beast. The guy's got so much power. And when you're big and you got you, when you got that the, those big of muscles, yeah. man, they need so much oxygen just yeah. to uh, keep going. That um, come on, you can't really be surprised that the guy got tired. But um, I felt like doing crunches like in the middle of the fight. Like it was one of those. <laughs> it was like you it body shames you immediately when they both walk into the cage. You're just like, oh, all right. Yeah. I'm going to put the popcorn down. Yeah, tell just... me about it. As I as I bite into my coconut shrimp and uh, loaded fries <laughs> yeah, at the man. outhouse. It's just like, Jesus. What are, like, what, are, what are those specimens that are walking into the cage? But it was really great. I know a lot of people down here are pissed about Yoel uh, feeling like he got hosed because, you know, local guy from down here. Um, you you want you want to feel like he is getting the uh like he's he's not getting the short end and y'all has been on the short end of a lot of decisions and so the fact that it happens again I get that frustration totally like I said I thought that he won the fight um I thought that if if I could if I could put it down like this this is where I thought the uh this is where I thought the uh the big miss for him was I thought that um. I thought on television it came across the defense and the rolling with the punches and the and the cage dope kind of style that he was going forth. I thought that came across pretty great. It is, I would say, tougher probably in a 
in a, in a live environment to judge that because it depends on what side of the cage that he's on, what the crowd is reacting to. So I think probably letting Paolo dictate that pace and dictate what he was putting forth coming forward on the cage, that's probably what ended up costing him. But if you were going to say, like, who ended up coming out of that cage and, and, and took the bigger beating, I felt like Paolo took the bigger, the, uh, the, the brunt of the punishment out of that fight. But... I mean, I don't want to. I really don't want to dwell on it too much because it was just so damn entertaining. Yeah, I mean, uh, the judge's perspective is really different than the spectator's perspective. You know, they're looking at who's controlling the fight. They're not sitting there with the scorecard and and counting how many punches are right. going. And and what we're seeing, the stats that the UFC and ESPN are putting out with how many significant strikes, they're not seeing that. That's not how they're making their judgment. So all they see is the fight that's directly in front of them. Right. So when they see. A, you know, Costa pushing Romero up against the fence and Romero kind of just leaning back there and, you know, some fancy head movement to try to avoid some punches. It's still Costa with octagon control. And I feel like that plays a huge part in it. You know, wrestling is the dictating factor in these fights because if you can take the guy down, you're controlling the fight. If the guy's trying to take you down and you can keep it standing, you're controlling the fight. So that's something to keep in mind, too. Romero was probably comfortable where he was up against the fence, but that's probably what cost him the fight was the fact that he wasn't the one really pushing the action, and it looked like Costa was. Definitely. Now, uh, let's get to the co-main event. It was uh, it was Nate Diaz versus Anthony Pettis. Wow, what a fight. What a fight. What a performance by Nate Diaz three years out of the octagon. Um, he, I think it came across clear that the, the absence of Nate Diaz made the heart grow fonder because that, that crowd went bananas for him. <laughs> they really, I mean, like, I know he's a California guy, but, I mean, he, he came across as such a superstar and people being happy that he was back in the octagon after such a long layoff. Uh, and, and to do that with three years off to a guy like Anthony Pettis, my God, it was just, it was so impressive to see that this is this is where the guy picks up after that kind of an absence. Um, and just, just a lot of, just a, a lot of high level stuff. Like I thought once he felt, you know, once he got into his comfort zone, it felt like it was a little bit shaky early on in that first round, but once he really got his bearings, I mean, we saw some really insane stuff, man, insane strikes, insane pace. The, the, the kind of exchanges these guys were having on the ground too was super impressive. It felt like once you thought one fight was going, uh, the fight was going one way or Nate was going to finish it off. I mean, the durability of Anthony Pettis to come through on some of those was, was very, very impressive. But um, it was, I would say, of the top three fights, it was the most clear cut. Nate did win that fight. Uh, thought he was going to end up finishing with the, when, uh, when he started piling up those knees uh, in the third round. Um, but he didn't. I mean, that, again, speaks to just what Anthony Pettis' heart is. I mean, this guy's a former champion. Um, but this, uh, I think Nate Diaz is, on, is back on the map and, and looks like he's here to stay. You know, based on his personality and, and the fact that he was off for three years and all the uh, pre-fight antics that he puts on, you know, I really expected him to come out there and, and just have fun. You really think that Nate's just the type of fighter that's in it for the attention and, of course, the payday, you know. But yeah. um, I didn't really, going into this fight, I didn't really think that he had title contention in mind or anything like that. But when, when the fight started, I mean, you saw a completely different fighter in Nate Diaz. He took that fight really seriously. Yeah. His game plan was, was uh, you know, specific for this matchup and to win this fight. I really expected to see more of the Stockton slap. I expected to see him flip off the crowd. I expected him to put on, you know, that that show that he usually does. But he took this fight really seriously. And, and I think that goes to say a lot about his opponent. You know, um, like you said, he's a former champion. These are two former lightweights that are now fighting at 170. Yeah. And can I just point out how much bigger Diaz looked than Pettis in that fight? He did. It became really clear early on that Pettis wasn't going to have the power to put him away 
at least not with punches. And Pettis said earlier in fight week, where is he going to beat me? Where is he going to beat me? He's not going to beat me on the feet. He's not going to beat me on the ground. And that gave me a lot of confidence in, in thinking that Pettis was going to take that fight. And I was like, you know what? Yeah, you're right. But, man, Diaz really showed everybody that uh, he could win it everywhere. He really did. And I think that, look, he uh, Pettis already solved one really tough riddle when he, when he, when he stopped Wonder Boy. Like, nobody stops Wonder Boy. So I can get where he gets that confidence from. Uh, you're going in there against Nate Diaz. Like, who stops Nate Diaz? It doesn't happen. He's like a zombie in there. Um, but it, it really, I thought, it, I thought it was a case of not just durability. I thought the skill set uh, was was so impressive by Nate. Like he looked like he 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 really like you saw whatever training that he was doing in this time off uh, seemed like it really paid off. Like there was, you know, maybe some some elements where you thought maybe early on like he was he was starting to find uh, needed a needed a, like a second wind or he was just gathering himself. Both of them had injuries uh, in the midst of that fight. Like you saw that what was happening with Pettis's leg didn't feel right. At one point, Nate Diaz's eye got messed up, so they were both going through some adversity there as well. Um, yeah, it was it was it was a, it was a crazy crazy exchange between them both. Uh, when we come back, we'll get into a little bit of XFN, what they got coming up. Um, it, it's a it's a really really exciting time for you guys. So we'll get into some of that. Also, big call out afterwards. I'm sure everybody down here in Miami is excited about after Nate Diaz got himself a win. Spoke to Joe Rogan. He's got his, his, himself a, an opponent in mind, and I think everybody down here is going to like it. We're back after this. It's Fighters Fury on AM790, The Ticket. All right, welcome back, everybody. Fighters Fury here on 790, The Ticket. We got Daniel K., President and CEO of XFN, in studio with us. And just walking in is, uh, is, is Bantamweight champion, going for two belts coming up. Brian Coos is going to be fighting in September. So very excited to have you in studio as well, my friend. Thank you for, uh, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. We're very excited about this. So we're going to get to you guys' business in just a second. I wanted to get to this. Real quick, and that was the uh, the Nate Diaz call out after yesterday's performance. He uh, ends up beating Anthony Pettis. This was him with Joe Rogan three years after uh, after is a, is a long layoff. And we're wondering like what is this? Is what I thought, boys, when it, when when it came to him, I thought this was finally going to be like, all right, he's going to mother bleep Conor McGregor, and that's going to be him. But I saw this interview with him this week with Brett Okamoto, and he had such an interesting philosophy where he's just like, I just want to fight dudes who do cool bleep. That's it. That's that. It's such a. It's it, it's no. It's no belts. It's no. It's it's none of that nonsense. He's like, yeah, I just want to fight guys who are cool. And I'm like, all right. And so in his mind, he had somebody that he uh, he wants to match up with. And here's what he uh, had to say afterwards. After this great fight, having this great victory, do you think we'll be seeing you fighting regularly now? The reason I was off is because everybody sucked. There's nobody to fight. But with this. Uh, with this belt, I want to defend it against uh, Jorge Masvidal. Had a good last fight. Good last fight. All respect to the man, but there ain't no gangsters in this game anymore. There ain't nobody who does it right but me and him. So I know my man's a gangster, but he ain't no West Coast gangster. You know what I'm saying? Sign me up. <laughs> Sign me up for that one. That is, uh, I can't wait for that. I think it. I think it makes all the sense in the world. It's kind of like if George isn't going to get the title fight right now, and you you know he needs one more win. Those guys make perfect sense for one another. And you're talking about two uh, two two of the big stars right now in the sport. It uh you got you got the 305 against 209 makes uh, makes all the sense in the world. I love it. What do you guys make of it? He's a gangster, but he's no West Coast gangster. That is probably my new favorite line that ever came out of the UFC. 
I love that. Respect between two fighters. And, and I mean, he's right. Those are both probably the biggest gangsters in the UFC. I mean, Ryan, you, you're a gangster yourself, you know? So, I mean, these guys are going to throw down. They're going to put on a good fight. They, they know how to talk. They know how to fight. And they make it dirty. It's going to be entertaining for the fans. I'm all about it. Yeah. I love that fight right there. West Coast versus East Coast. But I ain't going to lie. I love Nate Diaz. But... George, I think he's gonna take that one. Yeah, and it's uh, I, I, the way he's riding high right now, man. It's been it's been unbelievable seeing the star rise of George Masvidal. You know, this is a guy who's been doing it for so long. He's done it in a bunch of promotions, but he's been in the UFC forever. I don't know what the secret sauce has been for him this year that everybody is now all of a sudden glamoring on and wanting to see him fight. You never quite know what it is and what's gonna make the fans click, but uh, whatever it is, it it has, and and that and that factor for him is now. And so to get a fight like this, Masvidal versus Nate Diaz, it is—it just feels right. It feels the timing feels right. Two guys who uh, who who I don't even feel like need a championship. It feels like it could headline a pay per view on its own, and those are rare. You know, you know, it feels like a lot of the time they're trying to like force guys in, or they'll just throw an interim championship on the line because they need a, a headliner for a pay per view. This doesn't need it, so. Uh, very, very exciting. We'll get into the heavyweight championship a little bit later, but let's get to you guys, all right? So XFN, um, Daniel, give a give a little explanation to our audience of of, of your promotion, uh, what you're about, and what you got coming up. Well, um, we're a, we're an MMA brand, you know. We we're an MMA promotion, a league, so to say, like the UFC, right? But we're kind of the feeder system for the bigger leagues. We we start guys out from their amateur debut, work them up until their pro debut, and then we even help them get in their first few pro fights until one of the bigger leagues pick them up. You know, that's the real idea. We uh we farm talent, and South Florida has probably some of the most talented fighters around there's a reason why people travel from all over the world to come and train down here and compete down here you know this is where all the toughest fights are so um you know we've been doing this since 2013 and uh we're all about putting on a real show you know providing real fights for the fans and it, it's uh, and so what is the next one you got coming up? What is uh, what is coming up this September? So XFN twenty five is presented by HateJail.com, Law Offices of Matthew Glassman. Um, it's on September fourteenth at uh, DS Sportsplex in Deerfield Beach, Florida, and uh, that's a stacked card. I mean, one of the bigger cards that we've ever put together. First fight's going to start at five o'clock. We got twenty fights lined up, and we have a seven fight main card with wow. seven title fights. Damn. Um, yeah, we have uh, we're featuring one kickboxing title. We primarily do MMA, but um, you know we've been starting to do some kickboxing matches as well. But seven title fights in MMA. We're doing the uh, welterweight title fight. We're doing a bantamweight title fight uh, for an interim championship because of course we got the bantamweight champion right here, Ryan Coos, who's moving up to uh, 145. Um, and uh, speaking of which, he's moving up to 145 because he's actually getting ready to represent uh, the USA national team in a world tournament in Bahrain, November of this year. That's wild. Yeah, which is uh, huge. Daniel was telling me about this, Ryan. So Ryan Coos joins us. He's the Third Street Savage on Instagram. If you guys want to go follow him, check him out there. Um, tell us a little bit. So you got you have you're going for another belt, which is awesome. Um, so tell us a little bit about yourself. What got you into this game, and and uh, and and basically like this this upcoming year? What do you got going on? Well, I'm Ryan Cuse for the y'all don't, that don't know about me. Um, I basically been fighting my whole life in the street, wrestling since I was like six years old, and eventually I just met somebody that put me put me into a gym and just got me into fighting. And after that day, I was hooked. 
What is uh who was the person? Do you remember what the uh Rayon the, was? the other former the other uh 145 pound champ. And what was uh so what, tell me the scenario. Like what was it were you got were you saying uh I'm getting into too many fights in the street, I need to I need an outlet for this, or did he think you were you were damn talented and this will work for you? What what got you there? Well me and him both used to fight people in the street and <laughs> we we're both like basically just hooligans. <laughs> And he found out about Wagner Rocha, and he told me, yo, come through. We train out there. We fight people every day. I'm like, all right, let me try it out. Went through there. Then now I'm training right now with Asim Zaidi at the Goat Shed, and we're just racking up belts. I have right now my third belt. Um, about to go get my first 145-pound belt, and I just made the U.S. world team for amateur, um, amateur MMA. That's awesome, man. So, what is this tournament that you have coming up? Like, representing the U.S. for for this. What is what is what is this coming up for you, and and what does this mean for your career? Well, I'm gonna put on for the USA, and I know everybody's gonna be watching when I come home with that gold, big old gold strap or gold medal, whatever it takes. I'm gonna be fighting people from all around the world: Ireland, Bahrain, uh, who knows where, Kazakhstan. Have you Russia. done? Have you got? Has, has fighting taken you traveling before? Like, where's the where's um, the crazy? Or is this going to be the the, uh, the 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 biggest branch out you've gotten to do? I fought in. Well, my first two fights were in Iowa when I was wrestling in college. Okay, but those like I wasn't training or nothing. Well, training MMA, just wrestling, and then I've traveled once to Mississippi. But other than that, so this is going to be a new experience. Yeah. That's pretty crazy. It's like a Twenty-two hour flight. Whoa. Yeah, I'm ready for that. Yeah, man, that's pretty wild. So, like, what is uh, how many how many people do you have to take out in this tournament to win it? It's a 32 man bracket, right? So it's five days of fighting. Damn. Making weight every day, fighting every day, fighting the top 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 competition. That's pretty wild because that it seems very that seems very old school. Like, are you as a wrestler is that kind of harken back to your days of like having to get through a meet and. And and making the way, and who knows you're taking on that day? Is that is that where you're gonna kind of harness to to get back there? As far as like a instead of a full fight camp, just prepping for a fight? Yeah, definitely. That's where I think I should have my advantage. I've been going to tournaments wrestling, three four days in a row. Dual meet on Thursday, tournament on Friday, tournament on Saturday. Making weight every day, coming home with all golds, same state tournaments and all that. I took fourth in the state of Florida, by the way, wrestling. Really? Yeah, so I, I got a couple, a little experience under my belt. So if you were to explain uh, people, Ryan Cuse in the cage, what would, uh, how would you describe yourself? And when you're in that cage, what are some of your favorite things? Like if, if you had a, a game plan go to a T, you know, forgetting who your opponent is, but like just the way you like going and executing a fight uh, and, and putting forth on, on your opponent, how does that go down? Well, they don't call me the thirsty savage for no reason. <laughs> I like I like to make it dirty. I like to fight people where they don't want to go. You want to go to the ground bet? We're going to bang up top. You want to bang up top? Let's go to the floor. Let me show you what's up. So I like to, you know, get it dirty. Try to get it a little bloody if, if I could do it. But other than that, I like to make them uncomfortable. You know, just get into my zen mode and let my body do what it do. Danny, what do you uh, what do you what do you see when you see Ryan fight as far as uh, as a as a promoter's concern and, and what he brings to the cage? You know, when he came to XFN uh, before his first fight, he told me he said, "I'm I'm going to be the champion. You're going to see." And I get people telling me that all the time. So I'm like, okay, you know, we'll see. Let's see what you got. Um, but man, he lives up to his name. 
Dude's a savage. He really does. He goes out there. He puts on a show. He's got a huge crowd that comes out and supports him, and, and they go nuts. The, uh, the energy is electric when he's fighting, and, um, and it's a real fight. You know, it's not patty cake. It's not uh, – it's a skillful fight, but the guy does damage, you know, and, and that's entertaining at the end of the day. You want to see brutality almost, you know, skillful brutality, and that's kind of what he brings to the table. So he's been really cleaning up shop at 135, making it look pretty easy, knocking out his opponents, taking them down, beating them up. Um, so I have a lot of confidence seeing him moving up to 145, and and honestly, I think that he's going to be able to bring home gold for for USA at 145. Ron, what is uh, what is it about? Uh, fighters from down here and, and some of the guys who are just able to click with the crowd like you know I'll go to I'll go to boxing matches every now and then and you'll just notice sometimes that the guys that are from down here they have a special connection with their community they have a special connection with the people down here um, you know like uh, a boxer uh, Harold Calderon comes to mind like I remember going to this first fight uh, one of his first fights at the Hard Rock and just thinking like man like everybody is here to see this guy so Daniel was telling me beforehand, just like you, you, you seem to have that with uh, with getting people out to come watch you and care about watching you fight. Um, what do you think that is? I think fighting is part of South Florida's culture, and like I don't know, people just love to watch a good fight. Like I remember in school, if I tell somebody, "Yo, we're fighting at the park," me and my regional slide through. It's gonna be a whole big crowd. Like everybody just loves to watch fights. I don't know if it's just South Florida, and also, it's also the fighter. If if that fighter got a certain demeanor, a certain type of swag, people are gonna watch him. People are gonna feel like he could come to the top. Like the other day, I'm I'm just eating sushi. Someone comes up to me, "Hey yo, can I get a pick before you're famous?" I'm like, "Yo, I've known you my whole <laughs> life. Like I got you. Let's get one." That's cool. But yeah, I love I love um like getting little things like that and like bringing a little bringing a crowd out. You know, it's just super fun. It makes you feel like. Makes you feel like you're a star. Yeah, like you're in the UFC. It's it is. It's 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 one of those things where you just like, man, I can't. It's uh, you just never know. It's one of those things where get into the Mosfield thing of what's going to click. But some guys just seem like they got it. Like people just want to see them fight. They care about it. They want to be part of the journey. Um, they root for you. They had that. You had that support system. Um, I guess for you, like, what do you think are some of the biggest things that you have as a as a fighter? What are, what are, what are the things that you look for as support is it family is it friends is it mentors what are, what are some of the things that you lean on because as much of an individual sport as it is uh, i feel like a lot of fighters do need that that kind of things to those types of things to lean on um well my whole life i've never been the model student so i think that one thing that drives me was that every time i win a fight my mom will tell me she's proud of me. Really? Yeah. And I was like, I don't hear that that often. <laughs> no offense, Bob, but uh, <laughs> sorry for being a bad kid. But yeah, I don't hear that often. But every time I win, I'm oh my God, I'm proud of you. Bet. I'm gonna win again. Boom. Oh, I'm proud. Then my dad, proud of me. My whole family loves me. Every time I go to a family party, everybody's, when's the next fight? So like, it motivates me. But Did I she want you to do this? When you when she when you first said I want to do this I want to make this a career was she was she, she was she, she part of it or she thought it was nonsense she thought it was nonsense really but I, I turned them into believers real quick well not real quick over the past three four years like they started believing and believing and seeing the vision that I've been seeing uh, ever since I started what is the vision you see like uh, if we were to talk to you let's let's say if I talk to you in six months and then I talk to you in a year 
What do you think that you want that? What do you want that to look like over the next six to twelve months? Uh, where do you see yourself? I could see myself in Bellator within the next maximum eighteen months. I could see myself in Bellator doing damage, big damage. Yeah, they've been doing. Uh, they've been doing uh, a lot of rises for people too. It's been it's been interesting seeing that where it's been like. They're trying to get guys very early on and 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 holding them up, and that's kind of what you've been doing too, Daniel. Like, is it is it interesting when you see like you're at the beginning of a lot of these rises and knowing who got it, and how do you know who has it or or has or has something that you want to bring to your promotion? Well, first of all, the ultimate goal for me is to get these guys to the next level. Nothing is more satisfying for me than seeing these guys fulfilling their dream, fighting on national TV. You know, he's talking about Bellator, and I think he's specifically saying Bellator because we've had one of our most successful fighters was Taiwan Claxton. He came through the XFN League. He won our featherweight championship and then entered a 16-man tournament that we hosted, ran through everybody, and then made his pro debut with Bellator. He's now 5-0 and or 6-0 and with Bellator. Um, he had that flying knee knockout heard around the world. I'm sure you saw that highlight video. Sure. Um, and now he's entered that 16-man Grand Prix that, that uh, Bellator is hosting. He's doing big things. So, um, But, I mean, I'm looking for guys who take this seriously, I'm, uh, guys or girls. I'm looking for fighters who take this seriously, people who want to make it far because I can help you get there. We provide the platform for, you, for these fighters. We provide the exposure for these fighters. All you need to do is bring it. You know, work hard, get in the gym, and show up and put on a good fight. And step by step, you will make it to the next level. We'll be back with more on Fighters Fury right after this. It's Fighters Fury on AM790, The Ticket. Ah, Welcome back, everybody. Fighters Fury here on 790, The Ticket. Very excited to have XFN in studio with us. We have the president and CEO, Daniel K with us. And we have their bantamweight champion and... Superstar, man, you got you got you 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 carry yourself like a superstar for this thing, man. Ryan Coos has joined us. The Third Street Savage is in studio with us. Um, it's uh, so you guys were just showing me this during the break. So Ryan has on a what looks like a ski cap, but if you pull it down, it turns into a ski mask. And let me let me get I gotta put this up on for social media so people can see this. But Ryan, explain explain the ski mask, man. What do we got going on here? Because that is uh, that is a cool look. Basically, every time I come into the show, I basically do a strong arm robbery. I come and rob all the gold, <laughs> take all the gold belts. About to get the one forty five pound belt. I already got two one thirty fives. I'm just trying to. I'm just trying to get all the gold. It's uh, it's abs- it's absolutely sick, man. That's it's, you know, man. It, it's it's a funny thing, like finding those things that click with the crowd. Because you, uh, Dan, you were showing me during this. So you got like everybody. This is a thing when people come to see you, Ryan. People wear the ski masks. And in support, like they they know that's uh, that's that's your thing. Yeah, uh, you'll you'll know all my fans. They're all ski masked up, hoodied up, Third Street Savage apparel to the floor. That's how you know. That's how you know the real Third Street Savage fans. How did you come up with this, man? Because like the the famous mask back in the day, always the guy I remember in fight game who had the most famous mask was Bernard Hopkins. Always came with the executioner mask. Uh, it was just it was such a it was such a cool thing. But like the mask has become I don't know what it is. But when a fighter wears a mask, whether Danny Garcia. Uh, whether it be but it be Deontay Wilder, the like the the mask is is it like is it take you to a different place? Is it something like that, or is it just something that's for fun and f- fun for the crowd? I don't know. I just love the look of it. I even got <laughs> I even got a ski mask t- tattooed on my leg. Look at that. 
I like that, man. Yeah. That's a good look. I don't know. I just feel like it's some South Florida stuff. It don't snow out here, but we always masked up. No face, no case. Oh, man. Trust me. <laughs> that ski mask, I remember back in the day, like if I was ever up north, but the, the ski mask was such a tough look when you actually needed it for snow. I don't I don't understand who came up with it. Then they went to like the uh, the kind of just half over. That seemed like a little bit more practical. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, man, that's a that's a that's a great that's a great look. So how many of those things? So you're telling me like people people go, you got this going merch wise. Like that's a very forward thinking thing, man, to make sure that not only is your crowd there to support you buying tickets, but they're they're merched up. They got all of that stuff. Uh, they got all that stuff in in knowing that they're supporting you. Yeah, because right now in amateur MMA, it's not too much money to be made. So I, like, I got to think entrepreneurial. Mm-hmm. I have a friend, shout out Jermaine making me well he's like my designer i give him ideas and he just puts it on paper and we make it happen so i'm selling shirts at 25 hoodies at 35 and ski masks at 15. so i need to make my little bit of money on top of where can they get those man let them know yeah they well they can hit me up on instagram at third street savage spelled out t-h-r-d street savage hit me up on instagram follow me i got you yeah we'll tag them out this when we put out the podcast as well so you guys can go find Ryan Coos, so uh, what do you think of this the uh, the whole ski mask uh, the whole ski mask look for everybody out there in the crowd? That's got to be uh, that's got to be pretty cool seeing that at your at your shows. You know, it works, man. It works. Uh, you love it, you, especially in the amateurs. You don't really see that too much where these fighters have such a personality that it rubs off on the crowd. But right. you know, when when you're looking at the crowd or when you're walking around and you see 150, 200 people wearing these ski masks, wearing these t-shirts, something's working. You know, and, and it's great for Ryan. I mean, it's really smart of him to come up with this, and he's right. And the amateurs, they don't get paid. These guys fight, do not get paid. We're not legally allowed to pay them. If I pay them, I lose my license. Really? Yeah, that's that's the law. That's the way it works. Um, as soon as they get paid, they're considered a professional. And in the state of Florida, you're supposed to, not supposed to, you're legally required to have five amateur fights before you can even apply for a pro license. Really? So... You know, it's important for any of you amateur fighters that are listening in right now. You got to find ways to support yourselves. I know finding sponsors is one thing, but you got to market yourself too. And if you can come up with a personality like Ryan did, Third Street Savage, it's going to go a long way for you. Yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting thing, man. It's it's a it's a it's a it's a tough balance because you have so much focus that you got to go into your craft and and being good at fighting and making sure that you have all that covered because you're at the the early shakes of your career and. You're working your ass off in the gym, but like you do, it's is it tough balancing both of that stuff, or is or is this the fun part of the job? I've noticed fighting at, at a high level starts to become more business as well as fighting. Because I noticed when I first started training, it was training, 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 training. Now my video man will hit me up, yo, we got to do a video. My designer, yo, we got to design the shirts. You get me? It's a lot. It's a lot more. It starts going into it now. You get me? Sunday morning, we're on a radio show. Yep. I'm go, I'm go, I'm still gonna train after this, but you know we it's, it go, it it becomes more than just training. Now it becomes a job, and like it's just it's it's a lot, but it's it's real fun. It, it makes it different. It's a different different obstacle every day. Yeah, it's uh it, it's definitely it's it, there's a lot that goes into it, man, for sure. Uh, let me get some of your thoughts on uh, a little bit from last night. We had a UFC 241, the heavyweight championship of the world. When you're watching that, Ryan, do you ever uh, do you do any visualizing? Like, do you think about the big shows and, and and picturing yourself there with like the monster pay per views and all that stuff? Like, do you ever let yourself get that far, or are you just thinking about let's just get to the pro debut? Oh no, I see myself making that UFC walk every day, every day. Every time I see that, I just picture me fighting in the cage. 
135 pound strap coming from Henry Triple C. Get ready, boy. There's she Savage coming. I like it, man. That's uh, that's good. It's 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 nice that you always you have that end game in, in mind. Like you got you got to keep that. I uh, imagine like it seems so big, but it can be. It, it it really is important to be able to see yourself at that at that level. Yeah. Um. Did you see Paulo Costa's walkout? Yeah. What song did he come out to? I forgot. It was like an old school, like Aerosmith or something. He went to Dream On. Dream On. Oh Dream On. Yo, that. You right like that? There, that you walking out to that one be the next song? Fight? No, no, no. But that'll be the song that I come out to when, when I fight for the title. That's really like the, you yeah. like that song. I don't know. I think something my dad played it when I was a kid or something. But that it's song eerie. Gives me that feeling. It's, it's a it's an eerie song, and then it, like it really hits. Yeah. Once once it gets to that point where you're probably at the cage. Yeah. It really hits. But uh, man, that was a monster fight. That was that was a crazy that was Yo, a crazy scrap. That that has to be fight of 2019. I think so, man. Like it was. It's either that or I guess Style Bender versus Kelvin. But that yeah. I mean. It felt like that fight was going to end on any shot. It was bananas. And Yoel's taunting had me cracking yeah, up. Yeah, he's just time. like, he's giving him the chameleon, like, after every <laughs> shot. <laughs> <laughs> like, it was, I, I, I mean, it was wild. We were talking about this the first segment when you weren't here. Did, who did you think? Did you think Yoel should have gotten the nod, or did you think Costa got it? I think Costa got it. Uh, Yoel thought he probably secured the second round by that takedown at the end, but I don't think that was enough. It was too late. Yeah, it was too late. Yeah, the one thing about the takedowns, I'm like, look. Takedowns are great, and I know they're an important part of the sport. I'm not thinking anything about takedowns in a fight like that. Yeah. It's like when with with all the things that they're throwing at each other, one little swift uh, takedown at the end of a fight, it can't swing it for me. But the only thing I thought you all was was really doing that was effective. It just felt like he really was he was peppering Cost in the face so much, and that damage was really piling up. So I don't know where that swings in the second round to where because that's where it all seemed like it felt like Costa got round one. Round three was for sure Yoel. It's kind of like where do you divide at at round two? And it's so razor thin. You kind of wish like, man, I wish somebody got a 10-8 so it could be a draw almost because it was that good of a fight. It was bananas. Yeah, they might have to run that one back. I know. It's it, it's it's pretty wild. It's it, it, I, Man, I, and you know what? I wonder if they, they even want to run something like that back. Yeah. It feels like they leave a little bit, bit of themselves in that cage. Lost a, lost a couple of years of their life. but it was, uh, it, was, it was a wild one. What did you guys make of the heavyweight championship? DC looked like he had that one really in cruise control. Like he, I mean, you know, everybody was talking about was the first one a fluke shot and all that. Um, dump, you know, dump Stipe uh, right on his back after, uh, after peppering him a bunch in the first round. But man, when 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 Stipe started putting in that body work in the fourth round, I was like, "Whoa, he's gonna wilt him away here." It's crazy because I don't know what DC just couldn't come with any answer for that for that shot for that shot, and it was uh, it was it was the it was the beginning of the end for him. Listen, I'm I'm going into the fire academy myself, so I obviously had to root for you know the firefighter in in, in this fight. Never count out Stipe Miocic. Yeah, he is uh, he is a beast. He was getting demolished those first three rounds, and it really looked like it was going to continue that way. You really thought that Cormier was going to cruise through the you know rounds four and five and, and secure the win, but Stipe fought smart. He started attacking the body, and he saw that it was dropping Cormier's hands. And you know you keep attacking the body, they're going to drop their hands. That body's soft. You know it doesn't take a lot of power to hit that liver, and it only takes one shot to really freeze up your body like that. And that's that's what it took. That's what it was. That well, that was a perfect adjustment that he made in that round. 
because DC got a pretty big target right there. He does. And he wasn't touching it the whole fight until once he started touching, he's like, damn, that thing was easy to touch. Boom. He wasn't even setting it up at one point, just throwing it, throwing it. I wonder if, like, because a lot of people are looking at this with, with DC, and they're wondering, like, well, why didn't he wrestle more? But, I mean, like, at one point, Stipe got a takedown. I'm sure he's exa- – I'm sure the, the, the bombs that these guys were exchanging with each other, I'm sure he is thinking, like, as good a wrestler as he is, to go and try and go take down Stipe, which is not, not an easy task – it's probably just a question of gas tank at that point. Like he doesn't, he can't, he can't go risk going and getting a takedown. Then he's got absolutely nothing left. I guess that would be the philosophy in watching it. But that's obviously the big question everybody has with this: is well, why didn't Stipe, uh, why didn't DC do that more to Stipe well, or I, try it more? I know that DC looked comfortable and confident. He was landing a lot of shots, and you know, being the guy, the shorter guy with the shorter reach, you know, and and the fact that he was landing as much as he was. It boosted his confidence, but I wonder how much of that had to do with him wanting to prove everybody wrong that the first fight wasn't a fluke, that right. he could get that knockout again. And, um, you know, listen, he's earned it in, in his career. He's fought the biggest and the best fighters in the world. And what is it? The only loss that he had before this was to John Jones, wasn't yep. it? So, I mean, uh, you know, he, he doesn't have to hold back for anything. If he wants to go out there and try to knock somebody out, he can. If he wanted to secure the win, he probably should have gone for more takedowns. He definitely was more dominant on the ground, even though Stipe got, I don't know if it was a takedown that Stipe got, but they had a scramble on the ground yeah. and Stipe ended up on top uh, for a brief moment. Cormier easily stood up out of that and went back to striking. <clears throat> but um, but yeah. So I wonder. I wonder if it was Cormier wanting to prove that it wasn't a fluke the first time that he could knock him out again. Well, there was like right. Well, I wanted to get like uh, because he was doing this tactic, and I I don't see it very much in the cage. But it was a weird. It, he had like a weird disrespect for anything that that Stipe was throwing at his head, and he was like doing this thing where like he was kind of like reaching out and then hitting him like with a quick shot. Right? Like what what the hell was he doing there? Because. It was very interesting because he's got a lot of risk that that happens anyway because of the size difference. So he's got to be wary of that. But man, it, it, it was a, it was a weird, he didn't care about anything. It seemed like Stipe was thrown out of his head. I think that had to a lot uh, had to do a lot about uh, his confidence he was getting, just touching them, touching them, touching them, touching them from close range. And he can't fight him from he can't fight him from far range. So he was just like, fuck it, let me just go in, let me just go in on him. You're good. You're good, man. We, we got a magic button for that. Don't All worry right. about it. Yeah. Let me just go in on him. So he just started going in. Nice head movement, touching him, touching him. But I guess his gas tank ran out at that point. Yeah, it was uh, it was it was crazy because it, it felt like eight eight shots right to the body. He was going with Stipe. It was wild. I don't know what they. I don't know what what's next for either one of these guys. Quite frankly, like hearing. I don't know if you guys noticed this. Hearing Stipe talk to Joe, I couldn't understand a damn word he was saying. <laughs> I couldn't understand a damn word he was saying. I was like, man, like. I'm like, should like does he does he need a break or is he just because he's taking a lot of big shots? You think about the Francis fight, this fight, he's taking on the best of the best every which way, um, and and will always seemingly take a little bit of punishment to dish out his. That's kind of been his style, but I couldn't I, I couldn't understand damn what he was saying. It was wild. I don't know. It was too loud at the L house. I couldn't hear it anyways. But uh, but no, I look. He took the bulk of the of the beatings in that fight. Like I said, up until up until the last thirty seconds, when he started targeting the body, he was he was losing. He was losing the fight. Um, but yeah, hats off to him. It's uh, it was it was a, it was a great night of fights. It really was. So let's get back into uh, XFN twenty five coming up September fourteenth. What do we got here, Daniel? What do you want to uh, let the people know about? Uh, let's get them hyped up for this one. Uh, local mixed martial arts. As Daniel said, man, uh, it really can't be said enough 
how good the talent is down here between all the gyms, between all the guys that do this, the culture of the sport. Um, it, it really, it, I don't know what it's been, especially it feels like over like the last five years, as far as fan turnout and passion for it. Um, I don't know if you were at the last UFC event, but this was a, this was a market that was blacklisted about six years ago for, for a car they had the BB&T Center. This last one that they had in April, I thought it was such a good atmosphere and you really can see it turning around. It shows like yours. It shows like Titan and things like that, where people just come out in droves to to watch fighting. You know, and I know that Ryan, you were saying it's part of the culture. I don't know what it is, but it feels like it's it's gone to a, another level. It it definitely has. I've I've noticed that too, and we can see it in our numbers. Our our uh, attendance has increased so much over the years, and it definitely is higher today than it ever has been in the past. And you know, it, it might be with the continued growing popularity of the sport. You know, UFC now being on ESPN, maybe maybe it is turning more fans. Um, I, I'm, I don't really know what it is. What I attribute it to is, at least for our end, you know, is, is marketing and then the talented fighters that we have. You know, we, we have some of the biggest camps in the world represented at XFN, you know, American top team. We get fighters from, uh, you know, former fighters from the Black Zillions. That team kind of broke up, and now they're spread apart at gyms like Combat Club or DS Sportsplex, you know, um, which is ran by, uh, you know, Jay-Z Cavacante. He always has a, a good list of fighters there. But, um, you know, these these young fighters are really learning it. It's, it's more, like Ryan said, it's more than just fighting. It really is a business and uh, you gotta, they, they're marketing themselves more, you know, I, I guess that that's what it is, but, um, but it's the talent, you know, it's, it's the talent that they bring, and, and at the end of the day, that's what people are excited for, it's coming out and watching those fights, but specifically for, um, you know, for the upcoming XFN card, like I said, it's, it's too many fights to really list all A lot of, of title fights. A lot of title fights, but um, another really interesting fight that I know has the fans going crazy is uh, our co-main event is a women's flyweight championship bout. It's actually a rematch from uh, a fight that happened earlier this year between Hannah Jackson and Ann Ribeiro. Um, Ann Ribeiro uh, doesn't like to be known as Bigfoot Silva's daughter, but she is Antonio Bigfoot Silva's daughter. Um, you know, she she's her own character. She's her own person. She's her own fighter, and, and you got to respect that. Um, so when you see her don't say, hey, you're Bigfoot Silva's daughter. Say, hey, you're Ann Ribeiro. And uh, when you see her fight, you'll see a lot of similarities. That girl, she just walks right up to your face, and she throws down just like the big man. Um, she lost that split decision to Hannah Jackson in March earlier this year. There was a lot of controversy behind it. So it's warranted that they do a rematch. Definitely, 100%. I mean, it was a razor-close decision. Uh, for anybody who wants to check it out, uh, that fight is on our YouTube channel, uh, Extreme Fighting Nation, without the E at the front, XFN, Extreme Fighting Nation. Um, you can look up Hannah Jackson versus Ann Ribeiro. Check out the first fight, and you can decide for yourself. Leave it in the comments. Cool. But these ladies are going to run it back, and it's all fireworks. Um, Ryan, anything you want to say to the people before we get out of here? Uh, coming to see you fight in uh, in about three, uh, just under four weeks' time, September 14th. Uh, what do you want to let them know? September 14th, pull up, main event. It's going to be fireworks. Let's go. <laughs> How do people get tickets, uh, Daniel? Uh, you can get tickets by going to our website. It's uh, xfnfights.com, um, or you can look them up on Eventbrite, look up XFN, and get your tickets quick because they do sell out. We sell out a lot of shows, so check it out. Guys, it was great having you, and thank you for spending the hour with us. We really appreciate it. Thanks for talking fights from last night with us, and uh, looking forward to September 14th. should be a good one. Everybody have a great rest of your Sunday, and we'll talk to you next week.
We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.